CFBS. Sit Rep with Christopher Lee. Thank you, Richard Hutchinson, and thank you. Thank you for joining us at this week's Sitrep Roundtable. You're very welcome. In the next 30 minutes, part one of our two-part review of the global defence picture that anyone in the services today should know about. It's the world you could be fighting in and for. Next week, we'll be looking at your future as the defence review gets into its slash-and-burn mode. But today, it's what's going on in the world and where do we fit in. Now, to help me through this, the veteran chief foreign correspondent of Global Radio News, Christopher Walker, the head of the uh, Middle East program at the London think tank Chatham House, Dr Claire Spencer from City University, Dr Rosemary Hollis, and the director of the Military Sciences program at the IUSA, and a former naval person, Michael Codner. OK, uh, it's just us. Uh, the Iraq war is officially over next week. That's what the Pentagon is saying. Michael, uh, why can't Obama declare victory? Well, Bush declared victory some time ago, and <laughs> you can't do it <laughs> at twice. The end of the, at the end of the combat phase, yes. um, victory doesn't have a great deal of meaning um, in um, these complex emergencies with which we were left after the after the war fighting finished. Um, the old term we used to use when we taught was um, war termination um, on positive terms, yeah. <laughs> and that's about. Yeah. All you can say. Can't I mean, Christopher Walker, it's, it's also true, isn't it, that um, when people sit and listen, if they do anymore in the United Kingdom, I mean, they, most people I don't think care a toss about what's going on in Iraq. You know, we're out, cameras are out, that's it. But, you know, yesterday, how many were uh, killed? 40 or th- uh, 40 55, odd people? Uh, 55, 55 people. At least. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, and, and bombs in, I, I thought there was a very, very good piece in the Financial Times saying mm. the bombs read like a list of the war uh, battles. Every single town that we've got used mm. to over the seven years, you, uh, you know, dead had had a bomb or an attack in it. It was just to snipe everybody who's saying that the war was over. It, it, it made such a joke of. Uh, well, it did, but, I mean, Claire, I mean, um, Claire Spencer, it's also true that if you went back 18 months, um, I mean, I'm not suggesting that 55 isn't a small number of people to get themselves killed, um, but if you went back 18 months, we were talking about a 1,000 a month that were being yes, uh, of casualties. Yeah. It's true, death toll is, is down, but it's, it's the fact that these things persist. When we've been given assurances that, you know, the the Iraqi army is now able to take over some of these uh, some of these affairs that great hopes were put into the election uh, this year that took place in March. And we still haven't got a government. So there's no, you know, who exactly are they handing over to here where there's no functioning uh, government. And these bomb attacks, as we saw from the, the series last autumn, a number of which, remember, killed 250 people at a time, uh, they can still be pretty severe. And the fact that they could penetrate into the heart of Baghdad, where the death toll before was was more widespread, but the heart of Baghdad is very much more under attack, I think is is extremely worrying. Um, uh, Rosemary Hollis, are we really? Do we really have to be real about the politics of all this, and just say, yeah, that is the way of warfare. That is the way of regime change. Really sad, but sorry, goodbye. I do think you have to cut and run because staying won't actually solve the fundamental problems. And the really sad thing to me is that it would appear that we collectively, we British in particular, didn't learn the lessons of empire. When you occup- occupy a country, people don't like it. 
And when you install a regime, it tends to be rather difficult to call it democratic by definition. And I know the Iraqis have had elections, but as Claire's just said, they can't agree on who actually won them or who should head up the new government. So what I see for Iraq is very much what happened after the 1920 intervention by the British to create what Iraq. What Mesopotamia? Yes, what was Mesopotamia and uh, three Ottoman provinces or three provinces of the Ottoman Empire. Lump them all together, pump the oil and make a state. And in the end, they ended up with the British monarchy being thrown out, the British being thrown out, and after various internal coup d'etat, a dictatorship, the very dictatorship that was toppled in 2003. Now, I think there's much rumour of a coup d'etat in Iraq today to solve the problem. Tell me, hang on, hang on, what do you mean by that? Uh, that somebody behind, somebody in the military will offer to take control. Now, I'm trying to find out whether this is take control of Iraq in the name of uh, Iyad Alawi, uh, the contender for the premiership, or whether it will be for Maliki, who's, who's the... the current man in charge and refusing to leave the prime minister's office. But the real message there is military rule, and it's not going to be stable until there's a new assertion of military rule. The Americans behind this, Claire? Um, I doubt it, but I think they would... I mean, they're still leaving, what is it, 50,000 troops behind who are supposed to be reinforcing and advising and training uh, the Iraqi army. So, uh, as in Afghanistan, they're going to have to make some decisions about who this lot report to. Remember, Karzai wasn't flavour of the month, and now he is again because there's nobody else that they can identify uh, as leading the state. And I think uh, patience may run out with the US, but there's not much they can do if by early autumn we still don't have a functioning uh, government in Iraq because it's clear that Maliki will then, and he's, he's often been depicted as wanting to do this, be ruling pretty much by dictat. If he refuses to go, then he hasn't got popular legitimacy can I just get this, and strife will continue. Can I just get this clear? Uh, there are stories, for what strength are these stories, that there could be either an offer or a, a or a coup, a palace coup, by the military. Uh, Rosie, is that what you're saying? I'm saying that the rumours are rife, that there will be one, but I'm saying the interesting aspect of the situation is it's not clear who the natural candidates are to uh, conduct it. Now, listen, you too do the Middle East, and you know that the Middle East does rumours mm -hmm. better than oh, yes. anybody else, apart from the... British Labour Party. At the moment. No, but if you go back to immediately the time of the invasion when yeah. Jay Garner was supposed to be in charge of the transition and uh, Chatham House at the time put out a paper which said here are three scenarios, one of which was that um, a cooperative officer in the Iraqi armed forces would take charge of Iraq and install a friendly dispensation friendly to the United States. So who's running the army at the moment? Well, we that... This is the only problem because the army, having been dismantled yeah, by exactly. uh, the Americans, uh, has not yet been assembled to the strength that it could control the whole country. So a military coup is about, as you put it, a palace takeover. But it would have to take account of Iran. I mean, that's mm. the one country that's come out strongest uh, well, since the, the invasion. Well, the would not want Maliki because mm. he's more Iran's he's, man he's than a Shiite, yes. But there was one interesting quote to, today saying that uh, in some ways it, it's such a complex problem that the Americans going 
which they're supposed to do. You know, the, the mm. set date is mm. 31st, great speech by Obama that we're due to have from the Oval Office, is actually going to be worse for Iraq than them arriving. Because the man that's going to get this speech... Because what they've really, left is yeah. a mess, and a mess in which the normal people, one, have no electricity, two, have no proper sewage, and three, they're frightened to Five death. Five hours of electricity a day max. Yeah, and they're frightened to death of these militias. And well, we could read across to them. Pakistan, couldn't we, and Musharraf. Uh, when yeah. do you need a dictator and when do you need a democracy? I think... Well, it's, when, it's when, you, when he's your boy quite frankly, and, and hopefully when he's got the oil. But uh, before we leave Iraq, um, listening to somebody in Washington this week who was saying uh, it's as critical, that is, Iraq is as critical at a, a stage as at any time since 2003. Michael, did you go along with that? I think one ha has to bear in mind that you would expect the sorts of killings um, that have been experienced recently at this sort of stage. The, the withdrawal is about to happen, and just purely symbolically it's important to um it's important for uh, um, the enemy such as this is to to make these points and statements it doesn't necessarily mean that um that all is doomed because of that I and mean, we would expect this to happen mm. um, and the levels are lower than before but um but if we expect it, it to happen mess, uh, yeah. expect it to happen we have no power uh, but we are still there. We have an influence. Do we have an influence? But we certainly have a presence there in the Gulf, uh, in, 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 in Basra, etc., don't we, Michael? You mean, in the Navy. Well, the Navy in its training role, but um, that's, that's but it's there. very modest. It is there, yes. But, I mean, don't forget, you've had the Americans only yesterday, a senior general who's soon due to retire, saying there's no way we're going to leave completely. Uh, Where's this? Uh, this was in Washington. Oh, this he was, he's saying, talking about Afghanistan, wasn't he? Or was he talking about the... No, he's talking about the final 50,000 who are supposed to leave. Which I mean, is Afghanistan. The, uh, the, the, the obvious no. um, way you move from troops on the ground, which is, uh, as, as Rosie said, is, 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 a, um, is going to make the situation worse, is into Overwatch, where you have mm. a significant force that's available to do certain things. What you don't want to do is to put them back on the ground. It doesn't mean you can't use mm. air power, etc. Mm. You can certainly use some... Yeah, you go Some back to what we were talking about years ago, yes. and that's you go to garrison somewhere. Yeah, I mean, yeah. wherever it is. But you see, in it's interesting yes. on Monday, it's not so much the Obama thing that we're waiting for. It's going to be, he's, I don't mean he's dumped it on him, but it's going to be Vice President Biden, Joe Biden, who's going along to the meeting of the, what is it, the, uh, veterans. the, veterans, the veterans of, of overseas wars mm. at Indianapolis, for goodness sake. And he's going to say, well, maybe it's not, I'm not speaking to you from a, a, the deck of a carrier, and maybe we don't talk about victory. But why should we not see ourselves of having a job done? Is he right? No, I mean, I don't think anybody who's been there and seen the place, the only thing that we can really say positively that's come out of it is the symbolic getting rid of Saddam Hussein. And from what Rosie's been, you could read under between the lines of what Rosie's saying and, and hearing that, uh, in fact, you know, why not bring back Saddam? Let's have a good straw man again. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, I know she's not saying that, but the rumours mm. have that that type of thing in mind. It's rather like the Russians, you know. We need a strong ruler. We can't live here. Yes, with if you listen to the Iraqis who are, have been interviewed in droves recently to see what their impression of all of this is, 
They say they were hopeful, especially with the elections at the beginning of this year, that Iraq had arrived at a position where it could run itself. Now they've lost that hope because they can't agree on a government. And all they want is decent electricity, as you mentioned earlier, and personal security. They don't feel as personally totally insecure as they did in 2006, 2005, 6 But they, they do, don't feel that their country is in any way sorted and they don't feel that they can look to their politicians to run it. Yeah. They um, don't have any, just to add quickly, they don't have any respect to the way that the politicians are hiding behind literally the huge walls of the green area while the poor people are out in mm. the streets getting blown to bits. Yeah, yes. Um, here's a thought for us. I mean, I, I'm not cynical. Um, uh, 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 <laughs> Anyway, I am certainly not a cynic, but it strikes me that it's actually next week when um, Washington will declare job done, the war is over, um, that on the 1st of September they'll be doing this, that our former uh, leader, Tony Blair, his book is out. uh, And um, it's what's interesting, he's going to give his version of what happened. More importantly, apparently, he's going to give the proceeds of the book to the Royal British Legion. I know this has been dusk, discussed for a couple of weeks now about by everybody. Um, can I make a quote to the Daily Mail? He described the gesture as, and I say this, say this on the Daily Mail's head, for once in his lying, warmongering, money-grubbing career, they like this bloke, don't they? For once in his lying, warmongering, money-grubbing career, the former Prime Minister has done something decent. And then they add, as the Daily Telegraph did, 500 have killed in Tony Blair's wars. Is it, Michael, this is a very harsh uh, attitude, isn't it? Or is it a surefire reaction to how the nation feels? I, I would go with surefire reaction. And, um, uh, and um, part of that relates to um, his uh, performance at, in the Shawcross Inquiry and in generally how inquiry. he's presented himself mm. since he, he um, re- retired as Prime Minister, uh, which has certainly not been in his favour. I mean, at that particular stage, with all the business of Iraq and whether we should have gone to war alongside the Americans or not, um, uh, I had the view that he had an extraordinarily difficult decision in relation to preserving um, the Americans in an international context, etc. And this was very difficult. After I saw him at the Chilcot Inquiry, I'm afraid my um, Why? faith in him completely fell to pieces. It was, it was his manner and, 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 and his behaviour generally since he, he left yes. office. And how he's going to surround himself when he signs these books. You know, there are enormous conditions that have been set about no, what people can do. You, don't, and, you, you mustn't ask for, you know, to, to Chris from Tony. Well, no, but apparently I, what I like to hear, I'm not always a, a friend of the anti-war coalition, but apparently they've got hold of quite a lot of these books and they've written in invisible ink, I am a self-confessed war criminal. Oh, dear. And when he signs it, it's going to suddenly... Appear. Those, ones yeah. be, <laughs> those ones are going to be worth quite a lot of money, aren't they? Um, OK, but it does, it does reflect, doesn't it, Claire, that uh, although the cameras, the British television cameras, mm. have left Iraq, Iraq won't leave us, whatever we like to think. No, because uh, individuals, uh, it's not just the individual servicemen, but whole networks of families, whole communities. And this also applies, I think, to Afghanistan, which, let us not forget, is unfinished and also a war that Tony Blair uh, took us into, um, is on, you know, is unfinished business. He seems, and I, I agree here with Mike, that I think very much his 
righteous behaviour or self-righteous behaviour since that I believed I was right. And in fact, even in his valedictory interview on Radio 4, um, I remember thinking, why aren't you pressing him on? It's not a question of what your beliefs are. As a prime minister, you have to account to the people. That's the accountability principle of democracy for your actions. And he just refused to go into detail and said, look, I believed I was right then and I still believe I do. And I think this came across at the Chilcot inquiry. And the fact that he's made piles of money going around advising people and, you know, making a lot of money giving speeches at a time of recession in the UK and seeing, you know, the blood and treasure that the UK in general has paid for these ventures, it is very difficult to swallow. Can I just ask somebody who will remember, but the present Prime Minister, Mr Cameron, um, supported us going into Afghanistan and did he not support us going into Iraq or did not the uh, Conservative Party do the same thing? Yes, and they're having to live with that now. And, of mm, course, we had a wonderful live. episode of the Deputy Prime Minister yeah. Yeah. declaring it an illegal war in the House of Commons. So we can all dump. That's the whole thing. I mean, all the political parties here can dump on Tony Blair, and I don't speak for the gentleman, can dump on Tony Blair when, in fact, they would have got us into the same wars and we'd have had the same cash. Oh, no, wait a minute. No, no, you no, can't no, no, say no, no. that. You can't say that. Because, I mean, it's the, don't forget, it's all the sexed-up intelligence that mm. was used, the excuses. It's well, not well, only the fact that God told him and Mr Bush when they were having a little prayer session that it was the right thing to do, but it was the fact that he manipulated also possibly his own Attorney General's evidence. We're not sure about experience that. And senior Tories... Uh, were against the invasion yeah. of Iraq. And the, there wouldn't have been this love fest between George W. Bush and Tony Blair. OK, listen, I want to move on to Afghanistan because we've only got about 14 minutes left. Um, General Petraeus uh, saying this week that, um, I don't know, 2011, whatever the president says, it's just the start of drawdown and uh, we've then got... General James Conway, the uh, commandant of the U.S. Marine Corps, saying, well, by telling everybody we're going, the Taliban are clapping both hands and feet, and they think this is a really good thing. What's going on there, Michael? Well, this is actually a repeat of of the Obama Gates um, Mm. uh, 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 presentations when the July 2011 figure was first raised. Mm. Obama saying, this is when we come out, Gates qualifying it, uh, some hours later saying uh, that we will... um, this is when we review and consider mm-hmm. and hope that we will be able to make some reductions. And nice cop, nasty cop. Well, well exactly. And, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, with elections coming up and keeping the American, well, trying to bring them or keep them alongside as much as possible, etc., uh, being the immediate priority. But then, of course, on the other hand, you have uh, the messages you're sending to the Taliban. Mm. Can I ask, is, do I get the impression that certainly since... Um, 2003, uh, Christopher Walker. What we have demonstrated in the so-called West, United Kingdom, United States, etc., that we're not very good at this sort of thing. <laughs> no, in, if you have, in Afghanistan, I think we demonstrated that in the 19th century when, you know, our uh, great invading army came out with one man alive, I remember, on the back of a horse, and he was the doctor. I mean, we've never been particularly good at, at that sort of 
colonial intervention. Yeah, but to why are we who... good at it now? We are the big guys. We well, are the, the people with, with... Because we, you know, we're not good at it because it's too far away. We're, we're just promoting our own self-interest and we're trying to push down people's throats. This is my view. Mm. A form of life which they don't want, as Rosie was saying about this democracy in Iraq. Give me electricity, not democracy. OK, here. but listen, and... you guys sit around and you write things in learned journals, you, you appear on... In, you know, great programmes like this, um, not for much longer, but well, you appear on the great programmes. Like, is why B- isn't it that people mm. don't know as much as you do and say, you know, you shouldn't go on no, there in the first place? this is BFBS, and we're talking principally to the forces and mm. their families mm. who are right in the front line. Mm. And what hasn't been said in this story about Iraq and Afghanistan, the politicians are culpable for expecting too much of the military. They're very good at what they do, but there's not a lot of them. And they've got to uh, manage every little piece of equipment that they've got to stay longer and endure more difficult circumstances. But what was missing in both cases was a plan for the civilian side of things, a plan for the hearts and minds, a plan in the Iraqi case for managing the borders. And actually you had the uh, chairman of the joint, not the chairman of the joint, Steve, um, the the, the British equivalent, um, saying in Afghanistan, we've got to see this job through. And now the more boring bit begins. Mm. The war fighting, the regime change is the exciting bit, but there's a boring bit to be done. And uh, I would argue that the the troops have less to be concerned about in terms of whose reputation was lost. The, uh, The egg is all on the face of the civilians in Whitehall who either didn't stand up to the politicians and say we need this in civilian terms or who collectively with the politicians just thought, well, let's let it happen anyway. Mm. Right. This week also we've got people in Pakistan um, saying that the Taliban in Pakistan or certain one of the militant Taliban groups is likely to start taking pot shots at the aid workers. More than pot shots. Go on, then. Uh, well, I mean, they threatened that they're going to assassinate them and they've got the power to do it. I don't think the Taliban just takes a pot shot. If they decide to launch a proper all-out campaign against foreign aid workers, it's going to cause absolute uh, mayhem because these people aren't properly protected. Uh, there's an extreme national emergency there. And um, I think it's, it could be a very, very dangerous element. How do you tell who's an aid worker? They don't wear a sort of thing but, on their head saying, I'm an aid worker, I'm a foreigner. Is what yeah. they are. But how do you, how do you organise? Uh, I mean, Pakistan, people are gradually understanding that Pakistan is the key to what happens in Afghanistan, yes. Mm. In an area which is, what, 25% of it is underwater, mm. perhaps, perhaps more. Uh, how do you, you organise that? How do you come to terms with the fact that the country can't even organise the country, never mind what's going on elsewhere? Well, this is very tricky. I used to work uh, for a couple of years with Christian Aid uh, Development Agency and was involved at the time of the tsunami. And I think one of the problems of the aid agencies is they're not used to dealing with natural disasters at the same time as they're dealing with them in conflict uh, conflict zones. And the exception I can think of at the time of the tsunami was Sri Lanka. And there you had the divisions between the Tamils and, and the others. Uh, but I think in this situation, there's going to have to be some pre-negotiation of protection by 
the Pakistani army, and I know the Pakistani army itself is highly problematical in terms of its relations uh, with different parts of, of the regions underwater, but I think there has to be security provided for um, aid agencies. You can't, as Christopher said, have a bunch of people going in there who are clearly foreigners. Um, even Médecins Sans Frontières withdrew once from Afghanistan because they had pot shots, more than pot shots. Mm -hmm. uh, some of their, their aid workers were killed. So I think this has to be a prerequisite, and it's a very tricky situation for aid workers normally associated with working places like Africa. Rosie, but the, ones who are be, the, the ones who are being effective, Islamic Relief, for example, mm. are mm -hmm. the very ones that the British have become, as to the Americans and other Europeans have become very suspicious for, of in the context of the war on terror. Mm. Uh, in other words, the money has to go to the people who aren't foreigners. Yeah. And that can be done through Islamic charities, which is like fighting the enemy on the one hand and giving away the goodies on the other. Right. Let's look quickly at the rest of the sort of what I call the hot spots. Um, the Middle East, uh, Iran. Um, Iran doesn't get any easier, does it? And somebody was asking the question, how do you... Let's, let's make an assumption that Iran's going to get a nuclear weapon. Um, or it's got the capability anyway. Well, it's got how do you, rods. Okay, yeah. how, do you, how, how do you handle this? How do well, you... not, not by bombing mm. their facilities and hoping that the government well, will Well, we haven't fall. done that yet. Who's going to bomb them, by the way? The Israelis. Okay. Well. So how do we handle it apart from bombing it? Well, I, I would go back to this regime change business because, <laughs> as I discovered from Richard Pearl, uh, when I asked him on one occasion, uh, he told me, it's all right, it'll only take two weeks, we'll uh, only be using air power, we will bomb their facilities, but we will also bomb in a way that means that politics will then take care of things. What he meant was, we'll destabilise the country. Mm. And he seemed to think that that would produce a better dispensation. I should add to people who don't know, Richard Pearl, once called the Prince of Darkness, mm -hmm. uh, in, in, when he was in President Reagan's regime, uh, is a thinker on these matters. Uh, but he also told somebody at, in the Foreign Office quite recently, it's all right, you only have to bomb the huts. <laughs> Which is it, and it disrupts the whole process. Uh, tell me about uh, Israel. Are we, we're supposed to be getting Middle East talks? Are we getting Middle East talks? Oh, yes, Which is really, Israel? the really good news is these um, rather unproductive proximity talks are leading to direct talks uh, entirely on Israeli terms, I have to say, given that the precondition that the, even the Obama administration held out over the last 18 months was that there would be a cessation of uh, settlement construction, uh, but with a lot of arm twisting behind the scenes, um, Abu Mazin, uh, on behalf of the Palestinians, and by the way, only half the Palestinians, because Hamas and Gaza is excluded from this as before, uh, they will meet, or at least have a first handshake in Washington, D.C. on the 2nd of September. So, as you announced, the 1st of September is we're out, or mm. at least half out of Iraq. Mm. Next, next on the agenda for Obama is uh, these peace talks, and they will take place uh, without Americans directly present, but they will very much be George Mitchell in particular on hand if anything goes wrong. But so it's entirely good bomb news. on the 26th of September when Israel oh, yes, is supposed absolutely. to yeah. recon, yeah. you know, to, to reconsider its uh, settlement uh, halt, the six-month halt, and it looks as though it won't. And if it won't, that might be the end of the well, road. Settlements in East Jerusalem, and no deal on that. settlements everywhere. Yes, yes. Yeah. and, 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 and that comes up on the 26th. Okay, I just want to because we've only got a couple of minutes now. I just want to nip round a bit of our world that we're already there. Uh, Michael, Northern Ireland, it's supposed to be peaceful, isn't it? It's not peaceful at all, is it? Well, certainly the um, the, the, the um, recent terrorist attacks um, um, are, 
are disturbing, to what extent they reflect an, a... You know, well, officials are supposed to be talking to these guys, but they're also saying we're going to bomb the mainland. Uh, that is not a good thing in we're terms... Not dece- we're not returning to the bad old days. Yeah, that, that, that was the point. But I don't think... <laughs> <to. laughs> no, no, although people... Uh, Come on, you were a correspondent well, in Northern I, Ireland. I, we're not immediately returning to the bad old days, but I, I hate to be a prophet of long-term gloom, but remember how the provisional IRA came into existence. A few madmen fed up with the tired old Marxist official IRA getting together. Yeah. Now you've got a few other bad men tired with old Sinn Féin sitting mm. up in Stormont enjoying the trough. Mm. And they're getting together, and Oglet Nairam, the soldiers yes, of Ireland, are capable of bombing the mainland. The, 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 Brit, uh, the British government in Westminster... And the Irish, the government in Ireland, in Dublin, uh, their stakes, their their positions on this are completely different. Well, they are different, yeah, but I think you and I were there when this whole Provo thing started again. Yes. Uh, and people saying this exactly the same thing. And I always remember... You it's count the fact him... It's, Sorry, go It's on. the dissident lot, real IRA, who carried out the biggest atrocity of the Troubles. Yes. In the Oma bombing. Listen, we've only... You wouldn't believe this. We've only got about a minute left. Um, it's just one thing I wanted to try you on, Michael. We got this thing from your place, the Royal United yeah. Services Institute. Uh, Navy ought to be bigger, etc. from Professor <laughs> Gwyn Prince and Vice Admiral Sir Jeremy Blackham, retired. I remember them putting out the same sort of stuff in the 1998 Defence Review just before. Well, it w- and to some extent it worked in the 1998 Defence Review. Is it going to work this time? Uh, the points they make, I think, um, are, are sound. They've got some substance. I mean, the problem is, as you've implied, you know, it's the same people banging on and on about, um, about a, a maritime focus for our for our strategy, uh, it needs to be presented in a more subtle way, and there are ways of doing that. The ghost of the crusty admiral's uh, walk still. Well, we Only six, 16 inch Orient. guns left in the Navy. Thanks, that's it for this week. My thanks to Claire Spencer, Rosemary Hollis, Michael Codder, and Christopher Walker. Next week is the final sit rep in its present roundtable discussion form, and we'll be doing what we've always successfully done for 20 years. We're going to be telling you what's going to be happening in the next 20 years. Join us then for the final <laughs> Brave Old World. I'm Christopher Lee. Guess what? Mary, Mary's in the hut. Sit with Christopher Lee.